Hey English 11, it is 9.16 p.m. on Wednesday, May 20th, and I'm here to talk about Chapter 6, Part 2. Um, I'm not here late tonight. I don't know what's going on with me, but... Um, all right, let's talk, y'all. Um, so we left off when we had this really weird conversation. Remember our socially awkward conversation with Gatsby and... Mr. Sloan and Tom, they were all at Gatsby's house and, um, Gatsby, we talked a lot about this on the last podcast, how he doesn't understand the social cues and he doesn't understand the rules of wealth. Excuse me. So we're on, I'm on in the paperback. I'm on page 110 and we're going to finish this. So on page 110, we transition to um, the next scene where it says Tom was evidently perturbed. That means bothered at Daisy's running around alone for on the following Saturday night, he came with her to Gatsby's party. Perhaps his presence gave the evening its peculiar. I don't know. I can't say that word. Peculiar quality is oppressive of oppressiveness. It stands out in my memory from Gatsby's other parties that summer. There were the same people, or at least the same sort of people, the same profusion of champagne, the same many-colored, many-keyed commotion, but I felt an unpleasantness in the air, a pervading harshness that hadn't been there before. Or perhaps I had merely grown used to it, grown to accept West Egg as a world complete in itself, with its own standards and its own great figure, second to nothing because it had no consciousness of being, and so, of being so, and now I was looking at it again through Daisy's eyes. Okay. Um, so... What you're going to see here in this party is that, like, even though Tom has no idea that his wife knows Gatsby and, you know, was in love with him and we're not, it's not really super clear as readers, like, what's been happening between Daisy and Gatsby, but we can assume the door is really open between them. Um, okay, so anyway, what you're going to see in this scene is t um, Tom is very, of course, judgmental, kind of turns his nose up at the whole thing. And I want to emphasize here that this is really the old wealth ver the old money versus new money showdown and Tom is old money. And so he's basically better than everybody. And he's going to remind Daisy that she is not of this crowd either. And she's going to kind of reject that. Um, okay. So I just want to read some excerpts. So Daisy's trying to be very excited about the party. And she says, um, these things excite me. So she whispered, if you want to kiss me anytime during the evening, Nick, just let me know. And I'll be glad to arrange it for you. Just mention my name or present a green card. I'm giving out green. And she's like trying to make a joke here. Um, and then Gatsby says, look around, suggested Gatsby. And what's important here is like Daisy's trying to be funny at several points in the book, but none of the men in her life, neither Tom nor Gatsby really noticed that. And that's important. You know, both of these men claim to want her, but they don't really want to know her. Um, and she says, I'm looking around, I'm having a marvelous. And he cuts her off again. And he says, you must see the faces of many people you've heard about. So Gatsby's trying to really like ramp up his own crowd and say like, you know, this just must amaze you how many famous people I've had here. And then Tom's arrogant eyes roam the crowd. We don't go around very much, he said. In fact, I was just thinking, I don't know a soul here. Um, so, you know, there's kind of this back and forth of Daisy trying to convince, or Gatsby trying to convince Tom that his party's cool and Tom's sort of like um, not, he doesn't care. Um, 
And Daisy's trying to, not trying. She, she is, she seems very impressed. Um, okay. So then moving on, Gatsby kind of tries to get under Tom's skin or like tried him a little by only re referring to Tom as the polo player. And then on the next page on 112, it says, um, Gatsby identified him, adding that he was, oh, sorry. Then he says, um, Tom says to Gatsby, I'd rather, I'd, I'd a little rather not be the polo player, said Tom pleasantly. I'd rather look at all these famous people in oblivion. Meaning like, I don't really care about anyone. Okay. Then in the next scene, it says Daisy and Gatsby danced. I remember being surprised by his graceful conservative foxtrot. I had never seen him dance before. Then they sauntered over to my house and sat on the steps for half an hour. While at her request, I remained watchfully in the garden. In case there's a flood, a fire or a flood, she explained, or an act of God. And of course, Nick's job is to be the lookout so that Tom doesn't find these two canoodling behind the bushes. Um, so then they find Tom again um, and they reconvene and they sit down for supper. Okay, so this part is a little bit funny to me. They sit down at a table and Nick says, we were at a particularly tipsy table. That was my fault. Gatsby had been called to the phone and I had enjoyed these same people only two weeks before. But what had amused me then seemed septic on the air now or like toxic or gross. Um, so he's trying to, <laughs> Nick is like, oh, hey, I know these guys come sit with them. Um, but they're drunk and, and, um, Tom will really, Tom will really understand this behavior is kind of trashy. And I, I know that's kind of a harsh word to use, but all I'm trying to say here is that like when that word gets used, it's a word that, um, separates people based on social class. And that is, I, I wouldn't ever use that word, but I'm trying to explain that Tom would use this word to define the people that he's sitting with. They're drunk and they're acting drunk in a way that he, um, he does not, he does not, I don't want to say approve of, but in a way that he, he would never lose control like this in public. But there are some funny lines here. Um, Anyway, they're talking about these drunk people are talking about, you know, but you got her dress all wet when you stuck her head in the pool. And anything I hate is to get my head stuck in a pool, mumbled Miss Bedaker. They almost drowned me once over in New Jersey. Then you ought to leave it alone, countered Dr. Civet. Speak for yourself, cried Mrs. Bedaker violently. Your hand shakes. I wouldn't let you operate on me. Um, anyway, the Nick reflects. It was like that. Almost the last thing I remember was standing with Daisy and watching the moving picture director and his star. Um, okay. So then they wander off from this table and um, Daisy is sort of caught, not caught, but she's um, sort of mentally wandered off and watching these two people. Um, okay. So let's keep going. Um so then this is kind of the, I don't want to say the important part, but this is, this part is important. Paperback in 114, Nick says, I sat on the front steps with them while they waited for their car. It was, it was dark here in front. Only the bright door sent 10 square feet of light volleying out into the soft black morning. Sometimes a shadow moved against a dressing room blind above, gave way to another shadow. 
an indefinite procession of shadows, who rouged and powdered in an invisible glass. Who is this Gatsby anyhow? demanded Tom suddenly. Some big bootlegger? Where did you hear that? I inquired. I didn't hear it. I imagined it. A lot of these newly rich people are just big bootleggers, you know. Not Gatsby, I said shortly. He was silent for a moment. The pebbles of the drive crunched under his feet. Well, he certainly must have strained himself to get this menagerie together. A breeze stirred in the gray haze of of Daisy's fur collar. At least they're more interesting than the people we know, she said with an effort. You didn't look so interested. Well, I was. Tom laughed and turned to me. Did you notice Daisy's face when that girl asked her to put her under a cold shower? Daisy began to sing with the music in a husky rhythmic whisper, bringing out a meaning in which in each word that it had never been and would never have again. When the melody rose and her voice broke up sweetly, following it in a way contralto voices have, and each change tipped out a little of her warm human magic upon the air. Lots of people who haven't Lots of people come who haven't been invited, she said suddenly. That girl hadn't been invited. They simply forced their way in, and he's too polite to object. I'd like to know who he is and what he does, insisted Tom. And I think I'll make a point of finding out. I can tell you right now, she answered. He owned up some drugstores, a lot of drugstores. He built them up himself. The dilatory limousine came rolling up the drive. Good night, Nick. Oh, sorry. That was Daisy. Good night, Nick, said Daisy. Okay. So I want to pause here and reflect on a couple things in that scene. The first thing is, is that Tom is insistent that this guy is of a low class. And if you're a bootlegger, that of course means that you buy and sell alcohol illegally, making you a criminal. And of course that would be, you know, you can't be in the, you can't be in Tom's class and, and be a person who makes their money illegally. Um, so he's accusing Gatsby of being a bootlegger. Now Daisy and Nick notice both of them defend Gatsby. And is that because it's not true that he's a bootlegger or is that because they so badly want to believe that he's not a bootlegger? I'm not going to tell you the answer to that. The other thing I want you to notice about that conversation is that Daisy in trying to defend like her approval of Gatsby is like, well, you know, I thought it was interesting. And then Tom really speaks for her and he kind of like chides her and makes fun of her. Like he doesn't believe what she says at face value. He undercuts it and says, that's not true. You didn't actually like the party. And again, like we have to really pay close attention to how Daisy is treated by both men. She's really abused by Tom in obvious ways when he has these um, public affairs, but at the same time, just the way he speaks to her, it's not out of respect. And, you know, we'll have time to analyze things between her and Gatsby. But she is kind of like this possession. And when she acts like something other than a possession, like when she has her own opinions and thoughts, um, Tom gets upset. The other thing I want you to notice about what I just read is that Fitzgerald spends so much time talking about Daisy's voice. And it's one of these things where it's like, is it a symbol? Is it not a symbol? No, I don't think it's a symbol. But the author does really choose to hone in on Daisy's voice. He chooses to hone in on Gatsby's smile, and he chooses to hone in on Daisy's voice. And we're going to get the answer to that in a little bit, but I just want you to notice that there's a lot of time that Fitzgerald spends talking about how her voice sounds. Okay, Um, and then 
Nick goes back to the party and he stays late. Um, and then Gatsby, they want to wander the garden together. And um, I have to read this part because this is like, this is it, people. I mean, this isn't it, but this is this is really huge. So they wander around together and, and basically Gatsby wants to debrief on the evening with Nick and he wants to be reassured um, that everything was good. And, um, and he says, okay, I'm going to basically read to the end of the chapter. This is 116. Um, Gatsby says to Nick, she didn't like it. He said immediately, of course she did. Meaning the party. She didn't like it. He insisted. She didn't have a good time. He was silent. And I guessed at his unutterable depression. I feel far away from her. He said, it's hard to make her understand. You mean about the dance, the dance. He dismissed all the dances he had given with a snap of his fingers. Old sport. The dance is unimportant. Okay. This is Nick talking, but this is super true. Nick says, he wanted nothing less of Daisy than that she should go to Tom and say, I never loved you. After she had obliterated three years with that sentence, they could decide upon the more practical measures to be taken. One of them was that after she was free, they were to go back to Louisville and be married from her house, just as, just as if it were five years ago. And she doesn't, doesn't understand, he said despairingly. She used to be able to understand. We'd sit for hours. He broke off again to walk up and down a desolate path of fruit rinds and discarded favors and crushed flowers. I wouldn't ask too much of her, I ventured. You can't repeat the past. Can't repeat the past, he cried incredulously. Why, of course you can. He looked around him wildly as if the past were lurking here in the shadow of his house, just out of reach of his hand. Okay, people, let's stop. You remember how I said in chapter five, how Gatsby is the character that has a very unique relationship with time. And this is really this quote right here. This is the moment we realize how, how, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, we talked about like Gatsby's tragic flaw for, you know, that's a literary term, but, but it is a tragic flaw is, is that he dreams too big. Okay. So he's created this dream where he and Daisy are going to be reunited and everything's going to be perfect, but that's impossible. Like you and I, the reader and Nick, we all know that like, it's been five years. People have changed. She's married. She's got a kid. Like a million things have transformed, but he is not willing to accept it because that's not part of the dream. And so when he says, can't repeat the past, why, of course you can, that's huge because it indicates the level of delusion, I guess, that Gatsby has in this situation. The other thing is, is that Nick is right. Gatsby wants Daisy to go to Tom and say, I never loved you and obliterate the three years they have spent together. Now, Tom's a jerk. Everybody knows that, but it would be a tall order for her to go to him and say, I never loved you. And again, you want to think of it like, did she love him? Like that's her call, not Gatsby's call. But again, Tom and Gatsby are similar in the sense that they really don't allow Daisy or they don't want Daisy to be a, a, a whole person. They want her to be the other half of themselves, which isn't fair, but it's also very much of this time period when it comes to women. Okay. Nick. Oh gosh. You got to love Nick. When he says to Gatsby, I wouldn't ask too much of her. And he's right. She's married. She has a child. He is asking a lot of her. But then Gatsby, of course, cannot accept that suggestion. Okay, I got to read this next part. I'm going, this is Gatsby talking. I'm going to fix everything just the way it was before, he said, nodding determinedly. She'll see. 
that's it guys. That's him that he's dreaming in a way that is extremely stubborn and concrete and he's going to try his best. All right. I want to read this last page and a half. He talked a lot about the past and I gathered that he wanted to recover something, some idea of himself perhaps that had gone into loving Daisy. His life had been confused and disordered since then, but if he could once return to a certain starting place and go over it all slowly, he could find out what was, what that thing was. Okay. So then it says dot, dot, dot. So then we're going to do another flashback, super brief here. And we have some really powerful prose. So the language here is um, not always super literal, but I'm going to explain what's happening. One autumn night, five years ago, they had been walking down the street when the leaves were falling and they came to a place where there were no trees and the sidewalk was white with moonlight. They stopped here and turned toward each other. Now it was a cool night with that mysterious excitement in it, which comes as at the two changes of the year. The quiet lights in the houses were humming out into the darkness, and there was a stir and a bustle among the stars. Out of the corner of his eye, Gatsby saw that the blocks of the sidewalk really formed a ladder and mounted it to a secret place above the trees. He could climb to it if he climbed alone, and once there he could suck on the pap of life, gulp down the incomparable milk of wonder. His heart beat faster and faster as Daisy's white face came up to his own. He knew that when he kissed this girl and forever wed his unutterable visions to her perishable breath, his mind would never romp again like the mind of a god. So he waited, listening for a moment longer to the tuning fork that had been struck upon a star. Then he kissed her, and his lips, at his lips' touch, she blossomed like a flower, and the incarnation was complete. Okay. Um, one thing that I want to talk about in this section here is, again, it's not super clear what's happening, but basically it's flashing back to a night that he kisses her. And when he says that he kissed her, <clears throat> excuse me, and at his lips touch, she blossomed for him like a flower and the incarnation was complete. Incarnation, you know, to be reincarnated, you're being born again. So incarnation is to something is being born in this moment. And the thing that's being born in this moment is the dream. It is the dream. And for when he kisses her, she becomes a part of this dream. The other moment that I want to emphasize is that he says, um, he knew that when he kissed this girl and forever wed his unutterable visions to her perishable breath, his mind would never romp again like the mind of a god. Okay, so here's what's happening. You know, all of his life, Gatsby's dreamed of being larger than life. He, his destiny is not to be poor. So he dreams of these dreams, and so far he's accomplished everything. But when he meets Daisy and he links his dream to a woman, a mortal woman, right? It, we have the word perishable breath. That messes things up. And he doesn't know that. But Nick Fitzgerald says, you know, once he hitches his wagon to a, a woman, another human, his mind can never romp like a god. Because in order for the dream to be complete, he now has to rely on her. And she is not a robot, right? Like he kind of wants her to be, he wants her, he wants to program her in the way that he wants, but, but life is complicated people. So that's what that last part means. Okay. Last paragraph through all he said, even through his appalling sentimentality, I was reminded of something an elusive rhythm, a fragment of lost words that I had heard somewhere a long time ago. 
For a moment, a phrase tried to take shape in my mouth and my lips parted like a dumb man's, as though there was more struggling upon them than a wisp of startled air. But they made no sound, and what I almost, what I had almost remembered was uncommunicable forever. Nick is so perplexed by Gatsby. Um, on the one hand, Nick so badly wants to believe that Gatsby's a good guy and that he's not a bootlegger and he's not a criminal. He's just a guy with a heart, a generous guy with a heart of gold. But at the same time, like he understands that he's put himself in this, he Gatsby has put himself in this really, really tricky situation. And he has to rely on the decisions of these other human beings who are, um, human. Okay, guys. So we're on chapter seven next week and, um, we only have three chapters left and things are going to get complicated. Okay. Thanks for listening. I'll be at office hours tomorrow from two to three. And if you have any questions, make sure you guys email me. Okay. I hope you guys are doing great. Bye.